Welcome to the Kick-Ass Sisterhood, the podcast that shines a light on the amazing successes and struggles for professional women from Black ethnicity background. And I'm your host, Tanya Tavares. So today, our host is Nina Said Alsok. I hope I pronounced it well. Uh, so yeah. Mikhail, you're originally from Kenya and you own an award-winning gluten-free bakery in Leeds that's called Wildcraft Gluten-Free Bakery. You now employ six people, which is amazing. You also hold a PhD in philosophy and you are a wild food expert, which uh, means that you help people identify edible plants and fungi. So Mina, it was your sister that's a great friend of mine that told me that I should definitely go and chat to you. And, and I'm super excited, excited to have you on the show today. So thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so to kick it off, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and where you come from and what you've been up to. Um, well, I come from Kenya. Um, I was born there and then I came to the UK to do my undergraduate. That was in 2002. So I've been here a while, um, did my undergraduate, did my master's when I met my now husband, went on to do a PhD thought I would have a career in academia and then um, I it didn't really work how I thought it would it was a bit sort of cliquey in a different way like if you were lucky enough to be in a research group that had lots of funding and um, supportive sort of um, uh, research mentors and, and stuff um, it made it a lot easier but for people who like me were doing something quite different I mean my PhD was kind of looking at experiences of women workers in the Kenyan flower and tea industries and kind of looking at sort of um, gender dimensions of international trade and women's empowerment and it wasn't really a research group that had a lot of funding as I'm trying to imagine and so I finished my PhD got a postdoc I was doing postdoc for a year then got pregnant with my daughter Rayan and then while I was on maternity leave I kind of I was applying for jobs left right and center and the final straw for me <laughs> was when I because I was never getting shortlisted or interviewed or anything um, and then I got job advert through that said that they were looking for somebody who spoke fluent Swahili which I do right. who has experience of field work in East Africa which I do um preferably female and of a Bami background because they don't have enough of those people and you know I check those boxes um, <laughs> knowledge of poverty and livelihoods which is kind of my research was my research area and I was like oh finally a job that I stand a chance for they even want somebody black or brown or you know non-white I'll apply for this <laughs> and I didn't even get called for an interview oh um and then I was talking with sort of other friends academic in sort of academia and they were like yeah it'll have been that the job spec was a little bit specific because they would have had somebody in mind and they wrote the job advert that that person would get the job but if they called you for an interview then they would have to justify why they were hiring their person and not you if you happened to be as qualified or more qualified so rather than enter into that position they would rather just not even call you in for an interview in the first place. That's crazy. Yeah, 
so I was like, you know, this isn't really going to work. And I was uh, doing foraging courses and teaching people about mushrooms and things. So I thought, oh, I'll start a farmer's market stall selling preserves. So I did that. And um, it was around the same time that I found out that I couldn't have gluten. So I started having, thinking, oh, maybe I should sell baked goods as well because I can't eat anything that's sold here. And I can't be the only one. So I started selling cake and things then people started asking for bread so then I invented a gluten-free bread recipe which is the one that's gone on to won several to win several awards um and then randomly I was at an event and uh, another person who used to be at that farmer's market but wasn't there anymore was there and I was like oh where have you been how are things with you and he was like oh you'll never guess what happened an industrial unit has come vacant on the estate I'm on you should apply and see about moving your bakery out of your kitchen. And I was like, no way I could ever do that. Are you kidding me? That would be so much money. And he was like, no, I just, yeah, I just thought it would be a good idea. And I went and told my husband, I was like, oh, Peter, you're never going to believe what they said. Like, he thinks we should get a bakery. I was like, oh. <laughs> he was like, go back and ask him how much the rent is. I think he really wanted the bakery out of our house by this point. <laughs> um and I went and I asked and it was really cheap so I thought okay I'm gonna call the council because it's a council um industrial estate see what's what um I called them they were like oh that unit is gone but another unit that's even bigger has just come available do you want that instead and I was like okay and I went from hmm, it'd be really lovely to open a bakery someday to oh crap I'm opening a bakery in three months wow um which was a bit crazy and I had no money I had about a thousand pounds very I had to use that was all I had to do everything from sort out electrics in the place to make sure that the flooring was painted and do the walls and like literally everything um I managed to negotiate a small rent relief from the councils to go towards some of the refurbishment stuff. So I didn't have to pay rent for three months. So that thousand pounds and the three months worth of rent um, kind of paid for everything. And then it was just trying to figure out how on earth I would make it work. And sort of by the end of the first two, three months and it got really, really disheartening because it's on a bit of a grotty industrial estate. Hardly anyone was coming. Um, but there was this <laughs> one woman. There was this one woman who kept coming and she would come and she would buy bread and she would buy some cordial or some jam or something. And she was really lovely and we would chat and I started to really look forward to her coming into the bakery. And then one day she walked in and basically said, you want a business partner and I was like oh my god yes um so we went into business together and it's kind of just grown exponentially ever since but it's been it's presented lots of really unanticipated really weird and interesting challenges in terms of race because she's white um middle class um i'm a migrant 
black <laughs> woman. And I remember right at the beginning of our relationship when she came on board, she, I would be, every time somebody walked into the bakery, I'd make a point of telling them that and if I, I started the bakery and now there's two of us. And um, I realized afterwards that I was doing it to make sure that people realized that the black woman in the building was the one who started it, not the help. And she thought I was doing it to put her in her place to make it clear that, you know, it was my bakery and she's the Johnny come lately. Hmm. Um, so that was just an interesting kind of like clash in terms of and why perceptions and actions and there's continued to be lots of instances of that ever since and it's just been an interesting journey for both of us I think. And do you feel like now you've you've grown past that you don't feel like do you still feel you need to justify and if somebody comes in and let's say you have a business meeting with someone do you still feel that urge to kind of go out and raise your hand and say by the way um, um, I started the whole thing, although maybe it's been years now, right? No, I don't. It's been like three years now. I don't feel the need to do that anymore. I think because when she came on board, the bakery really had been open such a short time in the yes. premises. I'd been doing stuff for years beforehand, but that bakery bit was new. And um, so I had a lot of my customers from the for my foraging life who came to the bakery um but it was really just starting in this new form so i i guess i wasn't as confident that people knew who i was and i felt a bit insecure about the bakery and the business and how it would all pan out and and like it it started happening after a few people walked in and like we had this one woman who every single time I opened my mouth and said something she would basically completely ignore me and was just looking at Sam the whole time wow, that's and it was just like what is going on and then it kind of that on board my already sort of like insecurities just made everything just so much worse <laughs> yes. um but now because we do like lots of facebook live videos and social media and people know me and people know sam and people know that we are partners and um business is as much hers as it is mine and i don't have that insecurity about my place in the business in the same way that i did at the beginning yeah i find that super interesting because i think a lot of people can relate to that you know, the fact that you need, some people might just naturally think, and it's completely wrong, that it's the white person's business. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's working against those preconceived ideas that not only other people may have, but you also have of yourself, you know, if you see what I mean. Because nobody, people cannot, you know, they don't have to necessarily be saying it or thinking it, but you put yourself in that position too. So I find that super super interesting it, it's quite uh it's quite difficult to move past it and just regain your confidence right and just believe in yourself but it's it's one of those things that you think you passed it right you think yeah. you're totally secure and what have you and 99 percent of the time like when stuff happens i don't immediately think is it 
because I'm black. But every so often, and it mm -hmm. might well be that people are treating me a certain way or reacting to me in a certain way because of them, because of the fact that I'm black. But I, I guess because I grew up in Kenya where, um, like, I wasn't considered black enough and I was a Swahili. I wasn't a black, ethnic black person. I wasn't one of the, you know, black tribes. And I, so growing up, I never thought of myself as a black person, which is crazy. Cause like, you know, it and then crazy. I come, I come to this country, I come to the UK and suddenly I'm black. I was like, but I've not been black before. I'm not sure what this means. Like I've always been the not black enough person growing up in Africa around lots of really black people. And I'm just kind of a little black. But, and then I come here, so it's easy for me to forget that I'm thought of as a black person here, because until I was 18 and came to the UK, I was an Arab, or I was a Swahili, or I was a, like a Barawa, or I was all of these things that weren't black. Right. Allegedly. <laughs> Yes, and so you think it's um, the UK that makes you have to choose? Um, you... I, I don't know, like, because I didn't have a place. In a way, I am as much out of place now as I was then, but in a different way. So the people who didn't count me as black back home, like I remember talking about slavery when I was at school with one of the groundskeepers at our school. And I was saying about how, um, and, and about Islam, because I'm also a Muslim and I was talking about um, Islam and I was saying actually Islam is a religion for all. It's not just a religion for some people. It's anybody can be a Muslim. And um, this, uh, black <laughs> um gardener at the uh, school says to me um no islam is just for you people and i was like what do you mean you people and it's like yeah it's not for um actual black people it's for the slave masters and i was like wait what just happened um i'm really confused right now <laughs> I'm like, wow. and he was like yeah because um the arabs were the ones who enslaved us and um, and you're an Arab, and I was like, but I, I I don't know what to make of this, and didn't really kind of think more about it. So I was I came from a very privileged background, and my parents had a lot of money, and I was in a very I was in a school that was full of white people and Indians and they were the top of the kind of social hierarchy so according to my teachers and the school like I was black when I started in that school I was literally the ve the first Muslim 
in that school, the first black local person in that school who wasn't an Indian or an like an English expat. Like it, it was kind of an international school. So in school, I was black. To the um, people who worked at the school, I wasn't black enough. So I didn't really have a proper place. Every so often people would sh show me how it wasn't my place. And then I come here and um, keep getting asked, so where are you from originally? And these kinds of questions. And But now I'm kind of embracing my identity as a black person. Right. And I don't know what it means. I don't know what it like the implications that it has but like I'll go to the market and I'll see a lady selling African fabric clothes and I'll buy something for my daughters and I'll put them in like Katenge dress and I'm going to a sewing class and I'm learning uh, and the, one of the first things I'm making for myself is a uh, I've, the first thing I've made is a dress for my sister in a kanga fabric. So it's a fabric that was given to me by my grandmother. Right. And so I'm making a dress for her. And then the next thing I'm making is a dress for myself with more of this beautiful African fabric. And I'm feeling like it's okay for me to identify as black. Like I'm giving myself permission to be black now. Sure. Which just sounds really weird. And I don't know why it's okay now when it wasn't okay before, or I don't know, I'm, I'm in a place think, of like... I, I mean, I, I love the story. I think, do you think that it could be because before, you know, when you were a bit younger, effectively, you spent a lot of time um, paying a lot of attention to what other people think. So if somebody tells you you're not this, then you're gonna believe it. If you go to school and they tell you you're the first black, you're gonna say, all right, then maybe, and maybe, just the maturity, the fact that, you know, you've built that confidence and that voice and you've, now you can actually vocalize, I'm black. Do, do you think that's just maybe one of the reasons? Partly, partly, because I am a lot more confident now than I used to be, but that confidence is still really, really fragile. <laughs> so I've had instances where, like, I've said, um, so I remember once I was in the bakery and I said something a lot like how, oh yeah, it's very English to say blah, 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 like identifying as a British person. And, and then um, somebody was like, oh, but you're not British, you're Kenyan. And I was like, wow, way to tell me that I don't belong here. And that's not how they meant it, but that's how I received it. Right. And then, like, again, recently I've had this really weird experience where um, I got an email from a studio for people who wanted to shoot um, sort of TV stuff for the BBC. And I was on the phone with them and I was giving them my usual kind of spiel of, um, like, trying to get them to pick me over all of these other people who they must be comparing me to and saying to them, like, actually, I've been foraging for years and years and I'm actually the only black professional forager in the UK that I know of. And there's definitely no black women doing this professionally that I know of. 
and you know that kind of makes me special but I said it from a place of like in the same way that I can sometimes forget I'm black I thought oh if I don't tell them this they might not realize that I'm black so I should tell them actually I'm the only black female forager in the UK and maybe that'll tip the scales in my favor and then I was saying this to a friend and she responded with oh, do you honestly think that the fact that you're not black won't have entered their mind? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, um, yeah, because at least part of the reason they'll have picked you is because you're black. And like men, they can have like more diversity and blah, blah, blah. And How did you feel about that? Horrible. Right. Really really horrible yeah. I was like but this whole time I thought that they picked me because I'm better not because I happen to be black like I don't know how I feel about that and then like so I was like I pushed it to the back of my mind I didn't really think about it anymore at the time until they the production company said that they found a local forager who because I'd said that I could go and do a scout of the area, find things that we can forage and places that we can forage. And they were like, oh yeah, we found a local forager who's going to take you out and show you all of the spots that you can pick things in. And then we can do the filming with you. And then I was like, wow. okay, if they have a local forager, why the hell do they need me? And I didn't reply to their emails for a while. And they sent me another email and they were really persistent, which is unusual for TV people, right? Normally you don't reply to their email within 24 hours and they've moved on to the next person. Right. And it was like a week I hadn't responded. They sent me an email and a week later I still hadn't responded. They sent me another email and that's never happened to me before because I've been, I've done TV stuff before and it's normally really quick turnaround. And I went into the bakery and at the bakery, um, one of our bakers is also black. Right. And when he applied for his job, um, I didn't realize he was black. Uh, he, then he came in for the interview and I was like, oh my God, not only is this man an amazing baker, he's really wonderful. He fits in so well with our team. He's also black. He's like me. So it was like, even if I hadn't been convinced that he would be the best person for that job, I was doubly convinced that, you know, I wanted him uh, to the point where we weren't actually hiring a baker at the time. We were looking for somebody who was like going to be a job, like a dog's body for the bakery to do anything and everything, but their job right. wouldn't be baking. It would be cleaning and tidying and organizing and stock control and that kind of stuff. We created a role for him and tweaked everyone's hours so that we could afford both of them because I did not want a bakery that didn't have him in it. So I went to him and I told him about this thing that had happened with the TV thing. And I was like, so this has happened. Um, I don't know how to feel about this. And he was like, yeah, I get that because in the place where he used to work, um, he was pretty much the only black person and I asked him so in your career as a baker and I think he's been a baker professional baker for like 20 something years 
have you ever worked with another black person in a bakery? And he goes, no, I've never been in a team where there is another black baker. I was like, what about when you were at college, catering school? He was like, no, there were no black people there either. I was the only one. Right. Um, so in his previous workplace, every time he won employee of the month or anything, he would be the one that they would pick over all of the other departments to be the one who was on like the face of the supermarket, like, ta-da, you know, here's our black person. He got employee of the week again. Um, and I was like, so how did that make you feel? It's like, it just made me feel used. And I was like, that's kind of how I feel. And I was like, okay, so what do you think I should do now about the situation? He's like, you could turn them down or you could go do it, knowing that the reason they've picked you is because you're black. And you can use it as an opportunity to be a role model to other people so that they can see a black woman on TV foraging with this big TV star. And like, you should do it for that reason. And I was like, okay, that's, that is enough of a reason for me to put up, put off, how I feel about the situation and to do right. it anyway because you're right it is important that there are more people like me on tv in prime time doing stuff like this and but then the next time I had a conversation about it it was with two of my friends both of whom are white and they did not they could not understand in any way shape or form why I would be upset about it and like and then she started talking about like how she'd just been introduced to this concept of colorism and she didn't understand why sort of being white um like lighter skin would be like perceived as better than being darker skin and I was like it's all about proximity to whiteness and she's like yeah but why um I as an English person being put in the same lump as somebody who is like Italian or Greek or Swedish. And we're all totally different. Yeah, we all have the same skin color, but why would it be automatic that we're in the same place and we're all kind of, um, we have white privilege. Why isn't it English privilege or Italian privilege? Why is it white privilege? And not you know why am I in the same group as all of these and I was like because you have to remember where these things come from and their roots in colonialism and exactly. yeah you are English but you were one of the you are of the same people as the oppressors as you were if you will who came colonized our countries and yeah my in Kenya, my colonizers might have been British and in, I don't know, Rwanda, they might have been French and in South Africa, they might have been Dutch. But as far as we were concerned, they were all white and they were the ones who were in power over the indigenous population. So yeah, you're all getting lumped in the same place because all of you have a history of being colonial powers. So all of you, as far as, you know, all of you benefit from that till now and you all have white privilege. And then in comes the other friend who is a man and he goes, oh yeah, but um, I was speaking with a friend of mine and he was saying how actually as 
is a white male now we're they're kind of in the minority and i was like what are you on about at this point the other friend was like oh you've done it now like you're definitely not going to win this argument kind of like how can you say to a black woman that actually you've got things as hard as she does it's like yeah because i've never like i don't feel privileged i don't have loads of money like he's like he doesn't have loads of money he's not privilege he's not benefited he went to a school where actually he is the minority because most of the school is like indians and like there's so few white people in the school and he is the minority and he has had the experience of growing up as a minority i don't Ooh, even that know complicates it doesn't it right now <laughs> what did you decide to do i decided to do it why i'm gonna do it huh why because it's not just about me right if it was just about me i would be like you know what sod off right go find yourself a local forager do it with them because if you if they have more skills that they know where all of the stuff is and you're bringing them to show me where to pick things so then you can feel me not the person whose that knowledge comes from because that's not going to be my knowledge of those foraging places and the things to pick that is that person's knowledge you want to pass it off as my knowledge that's not okay why can't you just ask them to do the filming but it's not just about me because sure. it is also about all of those other people like me who don't get opportunities like this and nothing will ever change if I just think about me instead of thinking about and so I am more than just a bundle of anger and annoyance at the situation I'm also a potential vector for change and that's what I have to focus on, not the fact that they are using me, that the reason why they want me isn't because mm -hmm. actually I'm an unbelievably amazing bait, like forager and I have all of these years of experience and I'm really good on camera and all of these other things. The reason they're picking me is because probably the, is because I'm like black and a woman and the person I'll be filmed against is a white, very middle-class privileged woman with years of experience in kind of food. And like, so the contrast between this sort of older white woman and the younger black woman would work really well on TV in terms of showing their diversity and all the rest of it. Don't you think that, and I, I think it uh, gets me thinking a bit, that, but maybe it's, to, um, you know, uh, the, the expression, I don't really know how to say it, but it's just, um, it's needed to kind of move, to change, to have more people, have more diverse people out there like you doing foraging or baking or any other things, throwing their, launching their own business. Don't you think that it's, Unfortunately, it's, it's, it hurts the ego, right? Because they're using you in that case. And sometimes they want to show their diversity faces. But like you said, maybe it's just a way and we have to swallow that ego to allow for other people to feel inspired 
and growing to the ranks so that the person that you were working with, that you employed, he was the sole guy that was uh, at school, the, so the only black guy. And now seeing people like you, you know, will inspire others to, to just join the ranks. And it hurts, right? It's really, really bad. It feels so bad. Yeah. No, I can understand. Because mm. that didn't even enter my mind. It never entered my mind that the reason why they could be picking me was because of my colour. That it wasn't... Because she was like, yeah, but you always say, oh yeah, I'm a black forager, so why is it okay for you to use it? And it's not okay for it to be a reason why they pick you. And I was like, but it's not the same. And I didn't know how to explain how it wasn't the same. That when I say I'm a black forager, it's, and it enters their decision matrix as something to weigh in and sort of pick me over another person who has equal skills, but I am black and they're white and pick me instead because I have this extra thing that they don't have. Yes. How that's not the same as them picking me. I guess it depends which side it starts. If it starts with me being, I am black, then being, oh my goodness, you are. We haven't realized. Yeah, we'll pick you because, you know, you're better for that reason than this other person is different from them looking at loads of people going, Oh, look, we found a black one. Let's go with her. Right. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yes. And you don't know from which angle it comes, right? You will never no. know. No. But what I love about your story is that you've decided to forget about yourself, although how, how uncomfortable that is, right? That somebody can pick you just based on your color and not based on the actual work that you do and that you do really well. And I do admire the fact that you forget about that and you focus on, okay, but what would they do for other people? And I think that's, that's amazing. It's amazing. Um, Mina, I want to talk a bit about the business side. Uh, and yeah. I want to hear a bit about how you decided to build that business, but also what are the main challenges that you had in building that business? Um, my dad was a businessman. So like the whole entrepreneurship, running your own business thing, it's never been difficult for me. Every time I've learned a new skill, I've tried to make money from it. <laughs> since I was really little like I started my first business I must have been like seven selling these baobab seeds that my grandma cooked to other children in school and I, I remember my mom getting called into school to be told about how I'm not allowed to hawk things to other students at school and I remember going to the, like the staff room at school when I was maybe 11 12 trying to sell Italian pasta to the teachers. Like, it's not <laughs> it's something that, it's something that's been in my blood, my family's blood all along. So I didn't, I didn't see it as being sort of something I couldn't do because it was something that everyone did growing up. You know, everyone had their own businesses and I run little businesses and it wasn't something kind of, 
different. Um, but now the main challenges that I face all the time is kind of as a person who has faults and the thing that is the most challenging about my job is remembering that other people also know stuff and listening to other people and figuring out how to manage people and run a business and be organized and have structures and plans and all of these things that I'm not naturally an organized person. I mean, you should talk to my sister. She'll just, like, she'll just <laughs> laugh if I try to describe myself as organized. <laughs> respond to emails and really crap at text messages and phone calls and oh, I'm really bad at admin. Uh, um, but it's realizing the things I can do, the things I can't do, and finding people who can do the things that I can't do and not feeling bad or guilt tripping myself for the things that I can't do. Right. Because you just over committing to loads of stuff. You'll be like, Oh, I don't want to really admit that I actually am a bit rubbish at that. So I'm going to say I'll do it. And then I can't do it because I'm really bad at it. <laughs> and then I get really defensive when people are like, Oh, you haven't done this very well. And I'm like, I didn't want to do it in the first place because I knew I was really bad at it. By what you're good at, what you're less good at, and, you know, to kind of move your projects your, your forward. So now when you project mm. yourself in the future, what, what's, your, what's your big dream? What, what do you want to do? We are opening a bakery shop and cafe, hopefully, in the next two, three months. Um... And I just really want to focus my energies on making that as successful as I possibly can. Um, and then hopefully in my dreamland, we would franchise it and have branches of Wildcraft Bakery all over the country. That's what I would love. Right. Um, and, but eventually what I would really, really love is to be able to do more stuff with other black business women like i've got a couple of friends now in leeds who one of them owns a shop um which will be just down like stone's throw from our shop when we open um who runs like a gift arty gallery shop thing um and i have another friend who runs a bakery as well from her home and just it's really wonderful having people who know what I'm going through and like I've been I've in a way mentored that friend who has a bakery and I've always like been there to offer advice or help or support in any way I can kind of to help her grow her business and and collaborate with her and do stuff and I just feel like actually I can be a really good mentor and I can inspire people and I can help people and it would be really lovely if I could do more stuff like that. 
it's um and i think that's an amazing project it's it's brilliant um i think you will inspire i hope a lot of people because your story is brilliant um mina i'm gonna be wrapping the show but i would like to ask you maybe one more question uh -huh. what is it that you are i mean there's many things that you've told me today that are amazing but what is it that makes you the most proud um the thing that i am most proud of is walking into my bakery and looking around and seeing the people who i employ and recognizing that without my bakery like they like all of them so our head baker we recruited him he'd just been made redundant from his job of like he'd been working in the same place for like over 30 years and the bakery was sold from under him and he literally he was told on new year's day don't bother coming in tomorrow we've sold the bakery and he didn't know what he was going to do he's 60 like who's going to employ him a 60 year old man working in an old old-fashioned bakery and but we saw what he could do and we took him then the next person who's working in there at the moment he um ended up taking custody of his son when his son was six months old and was a single dad his son's now three and a half and he ended up having to leave work because his work didn't understand that he had parental responsibilities because you know he's a man um where's his baby mama um and so he had been out of work for like two and something years and when we offered him the job he couldn't believe that we picked him he was like i can't believe are you, are you really you're giving me the job because he applied for so many jobs but people just saw the fact that he'd been out of work and didn't see who he was and then there's that black baker i told you about he'd been out of work for three years he left work because his dad his brother died and then his dad died soon after and he was an emotional horrible place and he was struggling at work and they thought oh yeah the solution to this situation is to fire him and then he was out of work for like three years right. and the person we've just taken on now to be our new bakery manager he used to work for like um restaurant chains and stuff and then left and he hasn't worked for anyone other than himself making like cakes and stuff for like three years now. And we're all a group of people who people didn't believe in. Right. But we're together and we're building something remarkable. And that just makes me so proud. And the fact that my daughters can walk in and see this thing that their mother has built is like, you know, the ultimate for me so I think that's the most wow. amazing thing I've yeah and I mean Mina thank you so much today for your time because you've been so open and sharing your story and the vulnerability that you also face in sometimes when you ask question about your own identity I think for me that was so powerful and I hope a lot of people out there will be able to relate to that so thank you so so much uh so <laughs> thank you so this was the kicker sisterhood podcast thank you all for listening and please stay tuned for more episodes